Hey there, and welcome to Awake, a Sleeping Beauty audiobook podcast based on the YA fantasy novel of the same name, Awake by Holly Gary. Thanks for joining us on this journey to this point. 17 chapters, and this one's chapter 18. This is Awake's final chapter. Thank you for joining us. Let's get into the story. Chapter 18 The days slowly began to blur into each other, just like they'd always done before. For a while, I saw hide nor hair of Odette, and I wondered if that was because of my brother. But one day when I went for a walk, I surprised her in her parents' garden. As usual, she was working, hanging up laundry. I offered to help, and for a few minutes, we worked together in silence. Finally, when it started to feel awkward, I said, I'm sorry about... Just as Odette said, We don't have to... We both stopped abruptly. You go first, I said. She laughed, a shaky, tired thing. I just wanted to say that we don't have to talk about that girl. What girl? I asked, though I assumed I knew. The one Remy likes, she said lightly. She turned back to the laundry, as if none of this really mattered. Well, I was going to say, I'm sorry about it. Wait, how do you even know about her? He wrote to me, just before you two came home. Oh, I remembered the mysterious letter he had posted in Paris. Odette turned to me again. It's all right, Celestine. It was just a crush. I'll be fine. Her voice didn't waver. She would be fine. She regarded me, and her expression was complicated, sad, concerned. I think that your feelings were a little stronger. My heart thumped pathetically. I had never really told her how I felt about Hyacinth. I'm fine, I lied. We went on with the laundry. One day, Jaime and I sat in the back garden, having already eaten lunch and walked around town and helped the Lutalex chase some errant cows. He was sitting propped with his head in his hands, his elbows on his knees. He turned to me and said, So that happened. He meant Cherbourg. We hadn't talked about it yet. It did, I agreed. You fought an evil fairy and won. You and Amede helped? He stared at the silver of the village that we could see from where we sat. A little, maybe, but you did the deed in the end. Does it feel strange to have killed someone? It should, I said. It didn't. I was trying to wipe that nightmare day from my memory. I didn't want to remember her death or any of the things she'd said. I was mostly succeeding. Finally, I added, She would have killed us. It was self-defense. I know, he said. I wasn't saying... I mean, I'm glad you did it. But now... He slumped over even further. I knew what he meant. Now everything's back to normal. Yeah, he said. And normal was never that good. I let myself remember, briefly, what Ipome had said about him. Slowly... Carefully, I asked, What the fairy said to you, 
Was it true? Do you really wish we were still rich and powerful? He snorted. I mean, I guess everybody wishes for money and power at least a little. But no, I really don't care about that. She was right that sometimes I think about how my life would have been a few centuries ago. How I would have worked for the king or gone on adventures or something. And now I don't have those opportunities. I don't care about being rich. I just care about having something to do that's meaningful. I don't know if I ever will. Me neither, I said. What do you want to do? He finally uncurled himself, leaned back on his palms, and cocked his head thoughtfully. As much as I dream about being a knight, I would never actually want to be a soldier. After everything we've seen, I shuddered. I know. I kind of just want to be a farmer. A successful one, you know, so that I wouldn't have to worry about having enough to eat, or a roof over my head, or my kids' heads. Sounds nice. I agreed. So why don't you do it? Another snort. Mom doesn't want me to, that's why. They can't afford to send you to school, I said. What do they expect you to do? Jaime laughed. Just the other day, Mum showed me papers about a correspondence course for lawyers. It's cheaper because you basically just teach yourself. Sounds terrible, I said. I know. Let's go for another walk. I can't keep sitting here. So we went around the village again. What do you want to do? Jaime asked as we walked. Like, in life. I'd been thinking about that constantly. Not marriage, anything but that. Although it wasn't the institution I objected to, just being forced into it. Every night since we'd been back, I'd sat in my room, clutching the brochure Hyacinth had once given me from his old school, rereading every word of it. I want to go to school, I said. There's this school in Rennes. It's like a high school, but you can learn professional things, too. I want to work. I don't just want to sit around here and wait for the parents to marry me off. I don't blame you, he said, seriously. It's just a matter of paying for school. Right. Could you work while you study? Is there anything you could do? I thought about it. We meandered out into the woods, and I tried not to think about the times I'd been there with Hyacinth. Maybe I could work in a shop or something. The thought made me laugh. Mother would hate that. All the more reason, said Jaime, and we grinned at each other. My brother gave me the push I needed. The next day, I wrote to Hyacinth's old school in Rennes, asking about what sort of program I could do as someone who was technically a little old for high school, and also asking if they offered any scholarships. I had a response from them three days later, very politely informing me about different courses of study and a few scholarships they offered through the church they were affiliated with. I wrote back right away to apply. Finally, my future felt a little more in focus. Every time I thought about it, I felt a swell of excitement. It competed with that other feeling, still lingering. I missed Hyacinth, 
I hadn't heard a word from him, nor did I see him when I went into the village. Was he really done with me? Just like that? I couldn't stop thinking about the end of Amede's letter, either. One day, when I'd been home for about three weeks, I broke down and asked my mother where the Lutins lived. She looked at me over the top of the book she was reading. It was a do-you-have-feelings-for-him kind of look. But all she said was, on the other side of the river, two doors down from the Mesex. You know where they live, don't you? Unfortunately, I did. The Mesex's daughter was the only girl my age in the village besides Odette, and she was an insufferable flirt. I felt a stab of jealousy, thinking that she probably knew Hyacinth, had probably grown up knowing him, had probably flirted with him. But then I thought, was that true? Had Hyacinth actually always lived here? Had he always looked the way he did now? Did he actually have a family? My mother seemed to think she knew them. I had a lot of things to say to him. I added these questions to the list. I found his house easily enough. There was a row of about five houses along the river, across and downstream from our castle. They were half-timbered and sagging, at least five hundred years old. Hyacinths had to be the one in the middle. I'd thought about taking him a tart or some cookies as an excuse to visit, but then I decided he didn't deserve any sweets. I took the brochure instead. I knocked on his door, which was painted bright blue, and then I waited. And waited. I knocked again. Finally, I heard noise from inside the house. The door swung open, and there he was. Not his usual cool self, but rather disheveled and breathless like he'd been running. Sorry, he said. I was somewhere else. I wondered how far away somewhere else was. He didn't say hello, and neither did I. I held up the brochure. Do you remember when you gave me this? He nodded. I'm going to school, I said. He opened the door wider. Come in. Hyacinth's house was quiet and dark, stuffed full of ancient-looking furniture and artwork from various eras. Near the front door, a narrow set of stairs leaned precariously to one side. There was no sign of any other person in the house. Hyacinth brought me into a little sitting room with a small green sofa that looked a hundred years old, and a fat blue chair that I claimed. There was a row of bookshelves, but he also had books stacked on every available surface in the room, even the floor. It made me wonder why he'd ever wanted to see my library, if he had his own, and then I realized that had probably just been a ruse to befriend me, since I was the curse-breaker. He smiled at me, and I didn't smile back. "'You're going to school?' he said. "'I'm so pleased for you.' "'Actually, I don't know yet,' I admitted. "'I can only go if I get a scholarship. Otherwise, I can't afford it.' He nodded, seriously. When will you know? By the end of summer, I said. That was only a few weeks away. I wish you luck, he said. 
Thank you. Did you give this to me on purpose? I said, holding up the brochure again. Did you know I'd go there? He smiled again and looked away. I can't see the future, Celestine, but you told me you wanted to go to school. So you were just planting an idea? I don't claim to have anything to do with this. You've made the decision yourself. He did give it to me on purpose, I said to myself. I looked at it again, so I'd stop staring at him. He was dressed more casually than I'd ever seen him, in soft-looking trousers and what seemed to be an undershirt. His bare, freckled arms were rather distracting. His hair was a mess, which was how I liked it best. This isn't even what he actually looks like, I reminded myself. I'd been trying to picture his true form ever since he'd told me about it, but I didn't really care. His human form was awfully appealing. Did you actually go to this school? I asked, trying not to sound too contemptuous. It's an abbey school, he said. It's been around forever. That's not even remotely an answer to my question, I said in a disapproving tone that sounded badly like my mother. He huffed out a laugh. I did go there, Celestine, a ridiculously long time ago. I couldn't tell you what it's like now. I decided to start asking all my questions. Did you grow up here, in the village? He shook his head. I grew up in Caen, mostly. It's my hometown. But I went to school in Rennes, as you know, because it was safer for me not to always stay in one place. What does that mean? It means eventually people would take notice of how slowly I age. I can look older if I choose, but if I make myself too old or too young, I've got to deal with the limitations of the human body at that age. He cocked his head. Why do you want to know this, anyway? I'm confused about you. I said. There's so much about you that doesn't make sense. I'm magical. He shrugged. Some of it will never make sense to you. I'm not incapable of understanding things. I snapped. No, certainly not. I mean that some of it wouldn't make sense to any human. Do you actually have a family? I asked. You told me once that you have siblings. My mother thinks she knows them. The whole village thinks they know my family. He smiled, wryly. It's easier that way. They don't ask questions. You put false memories in their heads? He nodded. Don't you ever feel bad manipulating people like that? He looked sheepish. I never do it for evil, he said. And I never give people memories that would really make a difference in their lives. It's not as if anyone thinks they were close with my family. You're more powerful than any one creature ought to be. I was a little angry on behalf of my fellow humans. But does your family even exist? I asked again. He turned to one of his bookshelves and pulled down a large tome. I don't have parents, he said. Fairies aren't born, we're made. But I have siblings, more or less, because they were made at the same time and in the same way I was. Come look. 
I went and sat beside him on the sofa, not too close. The book he was holding was clearly medieval, leather-bound, written by hand in fine calligraphy, and decorated with colorful drawings. He turned the pages carefully. This is a history book, he said, about William the Conqueror invading England. It tells things that aren't widely known, like this. He stopped on a page where what looked like three witches hovering over a bubbling cauldron filled with green liquid. William asked magicians for help so he'd win his battles. Are magicians and fairies the same thing? Usually, the beings who are called witches or wizards in stories are actually fairies. He pointed to the women in the picture. But then there are humans who have unusual powers or dabble in things they shouldn't. Anyway, these weird sisters promise to make something to help him, and, he turned the page, they made us. On this page, three children stood looking up at a knight who seemed to be giving instructions. The children all wore pointed hats and robes patterned with crescent moons. One of these is you? I asked. He pointed to the boy on the right, who was dark-haired and timid-looking. And those are your siblings? Li and Kri, he said. Twins. They started as one being and then split. I was always by myself. Chrysanthem? I guessed. Are you all named after flowers? He flashed me a quick smile. We are. And were you all born looking like six-year-old humans? No, he said, amused. Another fairy gave us those forms, something humans could comprehend. So you were made to be tools for William the Conqueror? More or less, he said. We helped him win at Hastings. We made tools for him, such as I did for you, and we performed spells during the battle. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know if we were on the side of justice. I'm still not sure. He handed me the book. You may look at this, if you like. I set it down carefully on his coffee table. Actually, there are some things I wanted to talk to you about. He sighed. I suppose so. The sigh annoyed me, so I said coldly, I'm sorry if these aren't things you want to hear. Celestine, just let me speak, please. I went back to the other chair so I could look him in the eye. We haven't seen you since you brought us home. And I wondered, were you and I ever friends at all? Or did you only pretend so I'd do your bidding? I realized I was almost quoting Ipome, which I hadn't intended, but... Hyacinth looked at the floor and said, I'm very fond of you. Almost quoting Amade. We had fun together, didn't we? He sounded almost pleading, as if I was the one who needed to be convinced to like him. It's only that I thought I ought to distance myself once you were with Amade. I was never... It was easier that way. I wondered what he meant by that. And after Cherbourg, I thought maybe it would be better to let you go back to a more normal life. 
I didn't ask for that, I said. My voice was still cold, so I consciously defrosted a little. I won't repeat things you already know and that surely make you uncomfortable, but we never finished our conversation in Cherbourg, and I can't go away without knowing if you think you could ever... I ran out of words. Love me? Be attracted to me? Have any sort of romantic feelings for me? It all seemed so stupid. He knew what I meant, anyway. He heaved another sigh. Celestine, it's just complicated. Much more so for me than for a human. You'd be better off with... I cut him off. Amede is not an option. I know. He wouldn't meet my eyes. I was just going to say, with your own kind. But I only want you. The words spilled out before I could think about them. No human has ever made me feel this way. Hyacinth twisted his hands together and stared at them. He looked agonized. This doesn't have to be difficult, I said, trying to sound a bit softer. Yes or no is all right. After a long pause, he said, It isn't that simple. I admire you greatly. You're fearless. I've rarely seen a human so brave. He didn't finish his thought. I didn't feel fearless. Not ever. I wasn't brave the first time I faced the Dom Blanche, I said. He looked at me, finally, and his expression was so fond that it sent a shock all through me. But you were brave enough to go back, he said softly. You were brave enough to face Ipome again after that. You risked everything to save your brother and Amede. And myself, I thought, but I let him go on. It isn't you. Not at all. I've lived for nearly 900 years, and I've never taken a human lover, because I know I'd outlive them, and can't bear the thought of it. It's painful enough to outlive my human friends. That thought had never occurred to me. It was, unfortunately, quite logical, and I wasn't sure if he was saying he had feelings for me or not. Then I remembered Ipome, during our battle, saying, Has he ever told you about all his lovers? Who were all these lovers, if not humans? She could have lied. She wouldn't have had any compunction about doing so. Hesitantly, I said, Have you never had a lover, then? Only one, he said. And he was still looking directly at me, unwavering, so I believed him. A fellow fairy. Was it her? I asked, before I could think the better of it. And then I realized he didn't even know who I was thinking about. Or maybe he did. Yes, he said, looking away again, embarrassed. She wasn't always evil. We were lovers for more than two hundred years, and then she decided to go to the other side. Why? 
she thought that dabbling in dark magic would make her more powerful. She was right. She was much more powerful than me in the end. That was hard to imagine. He went on. We aren't created to be good or evil. It's up to the individual fairy. She asked me to come to the dark side, too. I said no. I thought, if I'm so much more powerful than humans, then I'm obliged to use that power for good, not evil. And that's why she went after Amede. His voice dropped, low and halting. It wasn't his parents' slight. Not really. That was just an excuse. She knew I was going to be named his godparent. She cursed him to punish me for leaving her. That's the reason I was so determined to save him. It felt like my responsibility. I was so ashamed. I took a moment to absorb all that. It wasn't your fault. You were right not to go with her. I'm sure you didn't know she'd curse an innocent baby because of it. He hung his head. All the same. After a long silence, I ventured to say, I suppose that's another reason you wouldn't want to take a lover again. That kind of betrayal must have been incredibly painful, too. He took a deep breath and finally looked at me again. It was, once. It's been so long now since I was actually in love with her rather than disgusted. I'm glad that someone put an end to her malice, even if it wasn't me. Neither of us spoke for a long time. I supposed I ought to leave. I even stood to go, and he looked up at me with an expression that said he wished I wouldn't, so I stopped. I can't become immortal, I suppose, I said. I could promise to try to give you any other kind of happiness. I'm in love with you. I won't ever forget you. You're going away, he said. I rolled my eyes at him. An hour away? Can't you transport yourself anywhere in no time at all? He smiled. A sheepish confirmation. As a matter of fact, my house can travel too. He stood and took a step towards me. We were face to face, aside from him being taller. I believe you, he said. I believe that you could make me happy. I reached out and took his hand and looked at it, intertwined with mine. Give me a chance then. If you don't want to watch me grow old, if you want to leave someday, I would understand. I won't leave, he said. I tried to think of more ways to convince him. We could... And then I realized he'd said won't and not wouldn't. I looked up at his face again, and he was smiling. I pulled him closer. He leaned down and kissed me. The kiss itself was some kind of magic spell, to be sure. The way it lit me up from the inside out. I felt my whole body flush. I bent my head back farther to let Hyacinth in deeper. He held my hand so tightly, and he put his other arm around me. He was shaking a little, 
like he felt this as deeply as I did. When we parted, he didn't go far. He was still close enough that I felt his breath on my face. You're not worried about the future, then? I asked. I didn't want to risk losing this, but I didn't want to hurt him, either. I would die someday. The future with me? I want to be as fearless as you are, he said. I opened my eyes slowly, and he was grinning even wider. My brave star girl, he said. Yes, I thought. I'm yours. Stargirl? I asked, and then I remembered the seers he'd consulted to try to find me. Something occurred to me for the first time, and I felt a smile spread across my face. Why was I the one to break the curse? It had never made sense until... Maybe this was our fate all along, I said. Maybe I was destined to wake Amade so I could meet you. And you were destined to save him, so you could meet me. He looked surprised, and cocked his head at me in an odd way. He searched my face as if for an answer, and then tugged on my hand. Let me show you something. He led me out into a hallway, where an old wooden trunk sat low to the ground. These are some of the things I've had the longest he said, and when he opened the trunk, I saw more books and clothes that were falling apart from age. He dug to the bottom and pulled out a piece of cloth, also ancient, but in much better shape, just a bit faded. I told you once that fairies often wear moons on their clothing. We don't usually wear stars. But when my siblings and I were created... An oracle wrapped each of us in a cloth and told those present that each one related to people who would be important to us in some way. My sister, Li, her cloth was covered in swords and crosses, and later she became a comrade-in-arms to Joan of Arc. I gasped. Cli had one covered with crowns, and he became an advisor to the kings of France up until the Revolution. But mine, you see, was covered with stars, and I've never known why, but maybe it's because of you. Because I'm in love with you, I said. It was heady to say it now that I was thinking, and maybe you're in love with me too. Hyacinth set the cloth down, and I pulled him in for another kiss. Come with me to Rennes, I said. I'll come with you anywhere, he said. Thank you for listening to the final chapter of Awake by Holly Gary. If you enjoyed yourself, feel free to leave us a review and please share us with other book lovers. This whole project was in an effort to get the word out about this novel. And we would love for this project to reach some people who could make this novel a physical one. If you want to keep up with us, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AwakeThePodcast. And you can follow Holly, the author, on Twitter at HollyGary7 and on TikTok at Holly Ann Writer. 
You can look forward to more content coming from us on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok so we can get the word out about this book. Before I go, I want to thank you for keeping stories in your life. Old ones, new ones, and keeping in mind those that haven't been told yet. And I want to remind you that your adventure is out there, whether it was written in the stars or the moon or whether you have to write it yourself. It's going to happen. Happy reading, my friends. We hope your week is fantastical.